today, Maggie and I are going to talk about a really cool subject called spiral dynamics. Spiral dynamics is a model of the way evolution of consciousness works. As people progress through their lives, their consciousness or their level of awareness evolves. You can see it in individual people's lives as they progress through consciousness from infancy to toddlerhood to childhood and teenage years through adulthood, etc. You can even see it on the collective scale of societies. You see it happening um, all over the world. You have very early stage consciousness cultures in some of the remaining tribal cultures around the world. And you can contrast those with a culture, say like Denmark, which I would describe as a very postmodern culture. And this is really neat. Uh, a human baby born today is essentially the same as one born 10,000 years ago, but the baby born today can assimilate the lessons and knowledge of the last 10,000 years by the time they graduate from college. And that's because today's society has accumulated and assimilated the achievements, lessons, and knowledge of the previous 10,000 years into things like language and art, science and technology. As human culture develops and evolves, human consciousness develops and evolves right along with it. Now, spiral dynamics is not a Christian or spiritual thing per se, but rather it's a model that can be applied to all kinds of disciplines. In fact, it's been successfully applied to psychology, medicine, economics, and government. And people have also applied it to Christianity, like uh, Paul Smith is an example in his book called Integral Christianity. And folks have also applied it to theology in a broader sense, not just Christian, uh, like Doug King and the Presence Organization. By the way, Maggie, Presence is based in Atlanta. So you might want to look into that. Oh, that's neat. I don't know anything about the organization. One of the guys who's a part of it is a pastor at a church in Vinings, I believe. So oh, neat. you might want to check that organization out. They have a really great podcast too. So let me just uh, talk a little bit about the history here. Um, spiral dynamics was developed by Professor Claire Graves in the mid 20th century. He based his theory on actual empirical data. So it's not simply an opinion of how things work. It's a description of what he saw happening in human evolution. And Claire Graves said in 1978, what I am proposing is that the psychology of the mature human being is an unfolding, emergent, oscillating, spiraling process marked by progressive subordination of older, lower order behavior systems to newer, higher order systems as man's existential problems change. What's important is how our human problems change over time and get more and more complex. And as that happens, our consciousness has to evolve to keep up with them and to solve these problems. Later on, after Graves did his work, um, Dr. Don Beck built on Graves' work. And a great example of how spiral dynamics can be used to help solve problems in any discipline is how Dr. Don Beck worked with um, the government in South Africa in the 1990s to help end apartheid. He used principles of spiral, of spiral dynamics to help the people see different values of people 
uh, regardless of their skin color and how people have evolved over time. And that they were often very similar to people with a different skin color, regardless of, of uh, how they looked. A key aspect of Graves' ideas was the assertion that everyone has a right to be where they are and where they find life. So if the traditional stage, which we'll talk about later, brings someone life, then that's great. We must be careful not to describe a higher level of consciousness as somehow better than the previous stages. And this has been probably the hardest lesson for me to learn, especially when it was people in the traditional stage of consciousness that hurt me most in the church. Chris, that is really powerful and really important to be aware of. And um, I think that just thinking from what you've said already from just for the implication for spiritual direction in we know that we want to allow a directee to be where they are and not push them to where they aren't ready to be. And uh, this Graves model, the spiral dynamics reminds us that, you know, everyone is on their own journey and that we can just journey alongside them. And as a spiritual director, we might be able to uh, offer this idea that, you know, maybe the reason that you were so hurt by the people in the church is because they were in a different stage of consciousness than you. And, um, and I don't know if you would like to talk a little bit about what that was like for you to kind of give grace, if that helped you learn, or if it was harder, or, um, you know, how learning about Graves model helped you learn that, that lesson? Well, it certainly gave me a uh, frameworks to kind of understand why it was all happening. Um, you know, in a previous episode, Maggie, we talked about uh, the critical journey and the stages of faith development. And I think that they, they kind of line up sort of with the spiral dynamics, this, uh, you know, advancing stages of consciousness. And, and that was also a very helpful frameworks to, to understand why things were happening, why I was going through this. Um, it, I mean, it, it has kind of helped me to understand and to, to maybe give them some grace and to, to understand that they, they are in a different, not worse, not lesser, but different level of consciousness. Um, and, but it's still, you know, even, even then I still feel like, you know, it, it was not right what they did, but I, I wish that they would, you know, find a way to treat people in a different stage uh, in a better way in the future. So um, it, it was hard, but, you know, we're still, we're still working through that and, and things are definitely getting, getting better. Chris, thank you for sharing that. It makes me kind of wonder, um, you know, you, you recognize that the people in, in your church were in a more traditional stage and you were in a different stage. Are we kind of born into our stages or is there growth? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I, I definitely don't think we're born into um, a, a higher stage than, um, well, I think everyone starts in the first stage, and which we'll talk about in a, in a, in a few minutes. But, um, you know, I, I know when I was in the traditional stage, I can remember those years. I can remember when I was in um, the next stage after traditional, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, this, this, there's this process of change where you go from one stage to the next, and it's not an easy process, but um, this pattern 
is, um, I believe it was in Steve McIntosh's book, um, Integral Consciousness, where he, he describes this process of transition from stage to stage as thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. And Richard Rohr, in his books and teachings, calls it order, disorder, reorder. It's the same concepts. So each stage of the spiral comes about because of a reaction to things in the previous stage. So for example, you're living in the traditional stage and things are going along just fine, which we would call the thesis or the order part of the change process. And then you start feeling suffocated by the beliefs and start feeling that they're oppressive. Um, and so that would be the antithesis or the disordered part of the change process. So then at this point, you have a choice. You can either stuff those feelings down and remain planted in your current stage, or you can understand that these feelings that you have are beckoning you to something more or to become something different. So if you choose to do that, you move beyond those beliefs and you integrate what still works for you from the previous stage and you take on new beliefs and ideas from the next stage. And that's the, the synthesis or reorder part of this change process. It could also be described as a sort of deconstruction and reconstruction process that occurs from one stage to the next. And it repeats itself every time someone moves from one stage to the next, they would deconstruct one stage and then reconstruct the next. Then sometime in the future when their current stage gets too suffocating, they would deconstruct that phase and then reconstruct in the next. So it's a cyclical pattern and each level of that spiral is more complex and is at a higher level of consciousness. Um, I, I think it's interesting that Richard Rohr calls this this order, disorder, reorder pattern, the wisdom pattern. Mm, yes. And so as we get to a higher level of consciousness, it just uh, seems that it kind of feeds this, this idea that the higher you go, the more wise you are, um, which mm -hmm. also seems to be the opposite of, a, you know, there's no one stage that's better than another or, you know, higher or whatnot, but right. um, uh, I can just kind of feel that tension rising up in me of like, no, we want to move up. We want to become more wise, mm -hmm. but it's still okay to be where you are. Yeah. And another thing that Richard Rohr talks a lot about is um, that moving into this higher state of consciousness is actually a path of descending. It's not really ascending, it's descending. And that's what Jesus taught, the path of descent not dissent as in disagreeing with someone, but dissent as in descending, um, you know, making yourself less and others more, or, you know, putting other, uh, others uh, ahead of you. So that's what Jesus taught over and over. Now, I do want to clarify, though, that, you know, this process of moving from one stage to the next can be messy, and the transition from one stage to the next is not clearly delineated. It can take years and it can be a very long and painful process. But understanding that this, um, you know, it's understanding that kind of a, a process that happens over and over, it helps to know that this is a normal process and uh, it's not you losing your faith or becoming apostate or something. This is a normal process to be expected and even welcomed, though it is certainly not easy. 
So let's jump into um, what the stages of the spiral are. We've been talking about different ones here and there, so let's just kind of go through them, um, starting with the first, uh, the earliest stage of the spiral, which is the beige stage uh, or the archaic stage. So these are given um, colors, these stages are, are assigned colors to remove this sense of, of bias out of what the names may be describing um, because you know one color is not better than the other colors just are so uh, so the, the colors help in, in, in kind of giving that non-hierarchical view of things so anyway the uh, the first stage is the archaic stage and that is really where everyone begins as infants um, you know we're all just part of we're just in this world we have no sense of self um, research has shown that babies don't really they don't know that they are an individual they feel like they're just kind of an extension of their mother or their their father but more so their mother and so um, they just have this idea of, of you know they're they're not a separate person and almost nobody stays in this phase because um you know this kind of thing tends to you you, you soon start realizing that you you are an individual um, uh, people who do have severe mental illness or who may have regressed back to this stage because of an injury may stay there until you know later in life but generally people don't stay here very long as i said it's it's characterized by a lack of awareness of yourself and um you know through these process through these phases we're going to kind of describe maybe where you can find an explanation or description of this in the bible and um you know we're coming from this from a judeo-christian perspective but really these, these stages can probably be found in many sacred texts from around the world. So, you know, if you would like to do a deep dive in whatever your own sacred text is to find a demonstration of the spiral, uh, please share it with us. We'd love to have you on the podcast and talk about that. So in the Bible, we can see the archaic stage really in Adam and Eve prior to eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, after they ate of that tree, then they became aware of themselves and the fact that they were different from their creator. They're a separate thing. Um, before that, they would have probably just, you know, just figured that they are just kind of one in, one with their creator, one with each other, not a kind of a separate being. Um, people then, after the archaic stage, start to uh, move into what the is called the tribal stage, which is given the color purple. People form tribes with other people from within their family and their closest allies. Uh, you see this in tribal cultures, in clans. Um, we also see this um, in young children, even today. They can be very tribalistic. Um, they also have a very magical worldview, and people in this this um, phase do have a very magical world worldview because they don't understand how things work you know we all saw this in children and when we were children we didn't understand how the world works so everything was very magical um, and so there's this this um, idea of, des of desire to sacrifice yourself for your tribe and you know you're you're uh, part of a bigger thing more important than yourself and you tend to have obedience to a leader um, and it, these tribes can be very uh, ritualistic as well now, in the Bible, we see this kind of demonstrated in the Israelites as they 
kind of roamed around the desert. They were in their tribes of, you know, the 12 tribes. And so um, that's kind of where we see this tribe, this tribal or purple phase in the Bible. Um, I think that's really interesting to think of uh, um, how, you know, way, way, way back when, before there was civilization and people lived in tribes and that was probably the safest way to survive to be in your tribe under the safety of a leader and and there was a lot of uh, um a fear of venturing out on your own because then you would no longer be a part of this family unit it's interesting i've been listening to uh, some podcasts and seeing some documentaries on uh, just smaller religious sects you know that are kind of uh, um, there's a leader and it's like a big family of people that feel safe under this one leader. And it may not look like the, the broader religion that we would assume that it falls under or that they think that they fall under, but you know, there's a lot of fear of leaving the family being out on your own and not having the support if something goes wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, being part of, of that group provides a lot of safety. Um, but it also, you know, tends to suppress you as an individual. And so kind of, that's really one of the trigger things that, that causes people to want to move out of this tribal stage of consciousness into the next stage. And so, you know, when you start feeling like your individual needs are, are not important um, because, you know, whatever the tribe is, that's most important. Uh, you start uh, having trouble with this or having a problem with this. Um, you also have this, maybe this fear of death or, your, your own um, particular ego starts to emerge within you and you start to realize, oh, I really am an individual and I'm, you know, I am important. So uh, there's also this allure of power to kind of move out from beyond the, you know, the safety and um, the, click, the clickiness, I guess, really of the, of the, um, of the tribe. It sounds like this, this trigger into this transition might be um, kind of a gaining of in the confidence of self, like you said, that emerging ego, and they're willing to take that risk to leave and to be on their own. Um, and that, so it's that confidence in self and, uh, you know, weighing the risk of, uh, can I stay here and be suppressed or can I go out on my own and, and see what's on the other side? Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that, that emerging ego tends to kind of really blossom and, and, and that, you know, that leads right into this next stage of called the warrior stage of, uh, you know, people's, uh, you know, we, we, we see people with big egos tend to be, you know, kind of combative um, and you know, this is very generalized, but of course um, not all people are that way. So this warrior stage is assigned the color red and as tribes grow and become more successful and wealthy, there will be inevitable, inevitable battles with neighboring tribes. We also see this in, in our young children when, you know, they um, just tend to want to fight. You know, they, I see it in my, in my own son sometimes. He has a very warrior mentality right now. Um, and, and that's a normal process of development in, in child in children. So, um, it's generally uh, where your phase is generally characterized by uh, good versus evil, these clear divisions of right and wrong, power and weakness, um, instant gratification without any sense of guilt, and just trusting and taking care of only yourself. Um, in the Bible, we, we kind of saw this 
you see this kind of in this Israelite conquest of Canaan, um, you know, even into the period of, of the kings of Israel who were warriors, they you know, were constantly taking Israel to war with their neighboring nations. And so they were in this, this kind of warrior mentality. And then there are things that will transition uh, someone out of warrior. There are things that wanna, um, that make them wanna leave that type of, of life. And one of them is, is having a spiritual experience. So this tends to uh, make people want to uh, kind of put down this life of, of war all the time and move into something a little more stable. Also, people will, will um, you know, have become parents and they'll have children. And so their priorities will, will change and shift and they want more safety for their family instead of this constant flux of, of, of move, moving and, and warring with other people. And just this allure of security um, and the belonging to uh, that comes along with this next stage, which is called traditional. It's interesting. I, I feel like I can see this in my life, you know, kind of growing up in my family unit. And then, you know, in high school, I start to learn more about who I am and I might rebel a little bit against this family unit. And then I went off to college and I was on my own and I was really learning who I was. And I really, I admit that I was, I partied quite a lot. And then that would be kind of more of that warrior stage. And then once I graduated from college and I like actually lived in the adult world with a, a full-time job and, and uh, hoping, you know, to, to find a marriage partner and, and all of that, I feel like, you know, like the the partying was getting old and I really calmed down a lot and uh, I think I just knew something deep down inside of me that there was something more stable um, than trying to be individualistic and uh, you know living for myself and that there was um, more of a uh, that community would would kind of help calm me down a little bit if that makes sense yeah it's interesting how our priorities do shift as we get older. So this, the next stage, uh, the fourth stage is traditional, uh, given the color blue. And this will arise in response to the brutal and chaotic lifestyle of the warrior stage. So examples of this traditional stage today can be seen in hierarchical organizations like Catholic and Anglican churches and even in evangelical churches. This is kind of where most of our conservative churches lie today in the tr traditional stage. Um, it's characterized by clear-cut law and order, belonging to a group of like-minded people who also follow these same um, ideas of law and order. Um, people are all about conformity with the group's beliefs. There's this black and white sense of right and wrong and a loyalty to a set of religious rules. In the Bible, I think the, the best uh, demonstration of this is really is the culture into which Jesus was born. This first century Israel, which was, um, you know, there was a lot of rules, as we know, um, the Pharisees were all about making sure everyone followed the rules as they were written. Um, and, and then Israel was also part of a larger culture of the Roman Empire at the time, which was also about, you know, following the leader, making sure that you're towing the line with what uh, Rome says is, is the right way to live. 
So Chris, I'm getting the sense that, you know, this is kind of more of a, a group think kind of a way that uh, this traditional stage kind of exists in a community. And I, I noticed that tribal is also that way. You kind of move out of the beige uh, archaic into the purple tribal and it becomes more of a, a family unit. Is, is this traditional stage kind of like just a bigger version of the tribal? Can you talk to that about that a little bit? Yeah, it is in a way. Um, I think in the tribal stage, we see that the tribes are, are tribe, tribes generally, generally are very small. You know, it's usually just a family or a few families your very closest allies that you live all of your life with. Um, and I think I, that's to be contrasted with uh, traditional in that, you know, this is much larger groups that spans, you know, families that are, that are not at all related to you and that you don't spend all your life with, but you do share a lot of the same beliefs. And so there's this community of belief as opposed to a community that you always live with. Triggers that um, transition that cause transition from the traditional to the next stage, just like um, as previous stages, and one of them really is scientific discovery, um, that you know tends to cause people to to question their firmly held beliefs from the traditional stage. They start seeing that you know new scientific discoveries may uh, contradict what they believe about the way the world works. And then in general, higher education, when, when people are higher educated, they tend to um, start having you know, more critical thinking skills and things like that, that they start to doubt what they've believed before. And there's this, this cognitive dissonance when you, when you see um, you know, what you've always believed doesn't line up with what science is saying. And you also see contradictions within the, the scripture that you, um, that you follow now, uh, like in the Bible, you might have before been able to explain away those contradictions, but now your your mind just can't let those go. And there are allures of this new of all this new knowledge that um, that is being generated, and um, you know that tends to really push people out of this traditional stage into the next, which is called the modern stage. I uh, really enjoy learning about church history, and I'm kind of seeing how this has played out this shift from the traditional into the modern, um, even starting with the, you know, the Reformation with Martin Luther seeing contradictions of, of how, of what the Bible said, what he was learning as a priest and, and then looking at how the church was treating people. And he really wanted to uh, um, reform the church. And he got to a place where he was willing to take that that risk to step out of the group think that was happening within the Catholic Church and the monastery where he was and into the limelight to kind of begin to reform the church. Um, and then also even just looking at the beginning of the Enlightenment with Galileo and how he discovered new information about the universe and that freaked out the church and it freaked out the community and the culture of the time. And uh, Galileo actually lived under house arrest for the rest of his life uh, because the people that were stuck in the in this traditional part of the spiral uh, were afraid of uh, the next stage. They didn't understand it. They didn't know that it was a possibility. But Galileo and Luther and many other people, especially when you look at scientists and whatnot in the Enlightenment in the last three or 400 years, um, how that has helped move society as a whole into a more modern era. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and it's still happening, you know, with with um, discoveries of, of new things in, in science and, and physics in particular, um, like Newtonian physics, um, you know, New Newton said that left to its own devices, the, the universe is, is spiraling out of control into entropy. And now we know that, well, maybe, maybe that's not true. Maybe things are kind of becoming um, formed into a greater and greater whole. Uh, that was the, the teaching and, and the uh, beliefs of the, um, the Jesuit paleontologist and priest named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And so again, he was shut down by the Catholic church and by the Jesuit order because of his teachings that were, you know, antithetical to what they had already believed. So after this traditional stage, when those triggers cause people to want to um, kind of move on, they move into this modern stage, assign the color, the color orange. Um, and it happens when, you know, people get more education and they start to see the world through their more enlightened eyes. They move beyond traditional and they start putting their faith in other things like their knowledge and scientific discoveries. Generally, this stage is, is characterized by, um, you know, achievement and wealth, um, status, winning and independence and liberty and things like that. And so um, I think in the Bible, we, we don't really see a whole lot of this stage um, because many of the advancements of knowledge that that would cause someone to move from traditional to modern were not um, dis discovered until after the biblical canon was finalized. Um, I know I keep talking about church history, but I I just think it's so interesting um, to kind of look back, you know, hindsight is 2020 and we can see how this is playing out. But um, I would say even in those first 300 years when like between Jesus and the legalization of Christianity and then the uh, the foundation, I guess you could say, of the church as we know it today in Rome, um, you know, there was the first 300 years were people that were prosecuted for sharing their faith and um, sharing this new way to live with God and, and understand who God is. And then again, when it became legal and it started to grow, the church started to look very characterized by wealth and status and power, all of that, like you said, um, which I think is really interesting to see that. But then again, with the enlightenment in the last three to 400 years, you know, we talk about unity within the church and science is just so divisive still in a lot of circles, even in in the 21st century. Um, but it was hugely divisive in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries when these scientific discoveries were um, becoming more popularized and they were being used and they were being, um, there's literature about them, they're being written about. Um, and I could say now that, um, you know, science helps us see how God created humankind and how God created the world. Instead of faith and science, you know, being oppositional forces that they can't coexist together, I would say that we could very easily say that science helps us see how God created humankind and how God created the world. And, and I recognize, you know, like you said, Chris, that even saying that, that, oh, this is how it can coexist together is kind of me as a modernist, you know, trying to pull people that are more traditionalist onto my side. And that's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. You, you see it, you know, with these scientific discoveries, you know, I think the 
um, evolution was was you know a really big uh, upheaval in in the scientific world and in the church. I, I think a lot of the church still hasn't even gotten to the point where they can admit that evolution is an actual uh, a thing that really happens in the world. Um, so so anyway. Um, Beyond the modern stage, uh, there there are things that even trigger people to want to move beyond that. So um, I think you know, we, as we mentioned from um, from the warrior to traditional, that spiritual experience. Well, that kind of thing happens again at this point when when people have put their faith in science and things outside of spiritual uh, spirituality. They start they may have this spiritual experience again that makes them rethink things and. Uh, they have a dissatisfaction with this constant accrual of possessions and this general feeling of spiritual emptiness that may come along with putting your faith in, in things that, uh, you know, that are not spiritual or uh, that are worldly, so to speak. So they have this kind of spiritual emptiness that, that's kind of gnawing at them. So they want to move and do, they find some deeper meaning. And so that pushes them into postmodernism, which is given the color green. Um, once people start seeing that emptiness of modern, they start realizing they need to have some level of spirituality, uh, some of deeper meaning. Uh, there, people can be um, start becoming far more interested in including those they previously marginalized in the previous stage. Um, we see this with care for the environment also and multiculturalism and sensitivity. Um, but, also, one of the detriments, though, that, that can happen with it, within this postmodern phase is this idea called values relativism, where people find all values equally important. So there's really no differentiation between one value and the next. Um, this can bring a very relativistic culture. Um, I think in the Bible, we see a lot of these characteristics of postmodernism uh, within Jesus himself. You know, he loved everyone equally. He was all about including and elevating women. Um, and, you know, the, the, the beggars, all the marginalized people, those who were cast aside by the culture, he was uh, very sensitive to them and their needs, wanting to pull them in and to include them in, um, in God's kingdom. So there's a pastor in Atlanta named Andy Stanley, and uh, over 20 years ago, he had started his own church that was kind of, you know, quotes, new and modern. And a lot of people thought that it was never going to take off. And, um, and, and I kind of would look back, you know, hindsight is 2020 and say that, you know, Andy was leaving the traditional stage and growing into a more modern stage of, uh, you know, stepping out on his own and, and, and uh, uh, having this new model of church, this new way to do church. And it really, you know, took off. It's one of the biggest churches in the country at this point. And um, a few years ago, he wrote a book called Irresistible, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, and he got a lot of flack for it. Um, in the book, he really just, if there's one sentence about what the book says, it's that we are called to love everyone, that how we love other people is how we uh, show our faith and our spirituality in God. And, um, 
And, uh, you know, again, a lot of people gave him slack because he was just going too far. He was, you know, off the rails and he wasn't, you know, following the rules of the church, which still sounds like they, those, those critics may have been in the traditional uh, part of the spiral. Um, but I think that that book was showing his journey out of, you know, modern into a mo more postmodern, you know, let's elevate the value of everybody and show that there is, that everybody has value, um, no matter who they are, what they look like, um, how society has treated them in the past. We are just called to love everyone, which sounds so postmodern. Um, and Andy, if you're listening, I'm so sorry if I got that wrong and I would love for you to correct us, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I think that you are way more advanced than most people in the church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you definitely see that a lot with, um, traditional, you know, they feel like the way they love people is to correct them and make sure that, that they are not going off the path, you know, that they have established as the correct path. But, um, you know people who move to this postmodern stage, they don't see the path as, as a, as something set in stone. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's much wider. Um, so, but, you know, eventually even within postmodern stage, there are things that trigger people to want to move to what is beyond postmodernism. And there's this tends to be a, a general dissatisfaction with some people with this constant seeking of meaning. Um, and then, you know, there's this failure of the culture that they're in to provide the, the, the cures and the answers that they seek to the problems that they see. And, you know, things can get very expensive when, you know, there's all kinds of rights and entitlements given to people. And they realize there's got to be a better way to solve these problems than just, you know, than just creating all these programs. And they just want to see a, a generally greater results with what with uh, you know their efforts and things so so that tends to push people beyond postmodernism into this um, phase or stage excuse me called integral um, and it is a sign of color yellow the integral is it's it's hard for me to talk about because I don't feel like I'm really in this stage but uh, but I do know that you know when pressure professor Claire graves talked about this stage he called this, this transition from postmodern to integral, a momentous leap. He said it's a completely different plane, a completely higher order of thinking. Um, you know, people tend to start to see the whole instead of its parts. You start to realize that solutions to big problems are, are found by seeing the bigger picture and helping people raise their consciousness to a higher level to see that bigger picture. And then there's just the small ebbs and flows of life. You, you realize that's just part of part of life. And as Richard Rohr says, we do live in a benevolent universe in spite of the ebbs and flows. Chris, I'm, I'm noticing a pattern here and I'd love for you to tell me if I, if this is accurate, but it seems like every, um, every stage kind of like we start with the um, archaic, the beige, and that's like the individual. And then when it goes into the purple tribal, then that kind of becomes more of like a group oriented thing. And then, uh, then the warrior red steps out, become an individual, and then, um, then they eventually move back into the traditional blue. And then there is a, uh, which is more of a, again, I think I even used the term group think when we were talking about it. 
Um, and then when they grow out of that, then, you know, they kind of take that risk and step out into this, you know, modern orange. And then they see the more community oriented side of it in the postmodern green. Um, so it's, is I'm seeing like a cycle of goes from individual to group to individual to group, et cetera. Am I reading that correctly? Yes, that, that is very true. Um, there is this cycling between the individual and the collective where the individual stages really are those odd numbered levels and the collective are the even numbered levels. Um, and it even, it even works with the integral and the, the next level beyond that, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, which uh, many people have called the harmony level or the global level. Uh, <clears throat> this concept really takes on a new character though in these higher levels. Because, uh, instead of it being about the I, the individual moving to the we, the collective human race, it becomes more about we, the collective human race moving to the whole of the planet and the whole of the solar system, even the galaxy, the universe. Um, so, you know, this, this phase beyond integral, we would call the global or harmony phase, and it is given the color turquoise. Uh, this level is, is really so new, and I think so few people live here that it's kind of hard to describe, uh, and most people may not be able to grasp it, but, um, you know, we see in physics now where scientists have discovered how the, our universe is always expanding and quantum entanglement tells us that when something happens in one corner of the universe, it affects something on another corner of the universe. So it's, 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 we're finding proof that we're all interconnected in one vast body. And this is where it gets really mind blowing. Paul says in Acts 17, 28, in God, we live and move and have our being. And this takes on a whole new level of meaning when you think about quantum physics. In God, the universe lives and moves and has its being. And so I just, I start to think, wow, then what is God? You know, what is this, this, this idea of God in which the whole universe lives and moves and has its being? It's really mind blowing. You know, it's interesting, Chris, that uh, you mentioned that in two of the stages that go from the individual to the collective stage, um, that there's a spiritual experience that tends to happen. Um, and just thinking about, you know, this expanding of, of God in the universe and how God moves and has its being, I wonder if that is kind of part of God's plan that when we step out into the individual stage, uh, we learn what we need to learn. And then we come back to community, which is kind of the call of Christianity um, that, um, you know, this, uh, there's a spiritual experience that happens that moves people out of themselves and into community with others, uh, you know, specifically to love others well. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I think that, you know, even as people move beyond uh, postmodernism into integral and global or harmony uh, stages, then the, the divisions that, that you see between different world religions, they even they start to fall away. And you tend, you tend to just see this general, you know, vast spirituality 
um, you know, which is very, <laughs> it really throws up the red flags to folks in earlier stages in traditional in particular. What do you mean this one world religion? Like there's all, you know, that we're all, you know, correct or they're, they're all religions are correct. Well, that's, you know, not exactly what I'm saying, but, you know, as Richard Rohr talks about this perennial tradition that is, there's truth that's beyond religion. It, it's, it's true regardless of what religion that you're, you're in. And so you tend to see that when people advance in these higher levels of consciousness. So would you say that um, for people in like the global harmony stage, the turquoise stage, that uh, going out into the universe and making friends with the aliens, that that is, that's part of it? <laughs> sure. If they're out there, <laughs> then they're all part of it too. They're, God loves the aliens too. I love it. Uh, Chris, I'd love to know where do you see yourself um, on this spiral? I think I would... I would be probably with one foot planted in modernism and one foot planted in postmodernism, um, and also probably kind of leaning on that foot in postmodernism, ready to kind of move on beyond the the modern um, ideas. But I definitely started to see things from a broader perspective, and it's interesting to me how this transition happened. I was firmly in the traditional stage of my life for most of my adult life. But really over the last five years, I have moved from traditional to modern to postmodernism. And I can even see some parts of myself in that integral stage, although I would not call myself um, firmly rooted there for sure. But, um, and this it's, it happens really quickly, really. Um, I, I, can, I can't say how it happened moving from stage to stage to stage other than to say that the Holy Spirit has been luring me onwards. And, um, you know, many years I did kind of uh, deny that and, and, and stuff it down and say, well, this, I can't, I can't go there. You know, this traditional stage really had a, a firm hold on me, but I, I have decided, you know, just to, to move where the Holy Spirit leads. And this really, um, this reminds me of now what's something um, that the clergy member at my previous church said to me um, about this this situation you know when when we left our church and I was saying that you know that the Holy Spirit was was leading us into new things is showing us new things and they said um, and this is this is you know perfect traditional stage talk they said the Holy Spirit's job is is to reaffirm, and confirm what the church has always taught for 2000 years. And it is, you know, that if, if you are saying that you believe new things, that is certainly not the Holy Spirit saying that to you. It's, it, it's so uh, antithetical to how I believe now, but, you know, like I said, that that's how traditional stage folks think about things. And, you know, it hurt when he said it to me, but I understand where he is and I've tried to kind of give him some grace about that. Wow, you're so mature. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it was easy and I, I'm certainly not happy about it, but you kind of have to realize that's where people are and just give them the benefit of being where they are. What about you, Maggie? Where do you think you lie on the spiral? Well, obviously I like to think that I'm postmodern, um, you know, just because I uh, think that I'm enlightened. 
Um, but I think there's still, (laughs) right. Um, it does sound so beautiful to be postmodern. And of course I would like to think that I am postmodern, but, um, I think coming out of a traditional, uh, church, you know, I had a lot of healing to do kind of like you talked about Chris. And, um, so I think that I still am in more of an individual stage, you know, um, just still in a season of learning who I am now that I'm not a part of, you know, this, the church, which would be more on the modern side, I think, but um, I'm also deeply passionate about the LGBTQ plus community and their rights. And I support Black Lives Matter. And um, in the last year or so, I've really done some more learning and becoming aware of how privilege in general has played out in America. So that makes me think that I have a little, a, a foot in postmodern kind of like you. Um, yeah. But I also listened to a podcast years ago about the Graves model. And, um, and they said that wherever we think we are, we're actually probably two levels lower. So um, I guess, Chris, that you and I are both not straddling modern and postmodern, but we are actually <laughs> straddling the warrior and traditional. <laughs> so how does that make yep. you feel? <laughs> um, you know, I think there's probably some truth to that. You know, there were some times in the last um, couple of years when when I just wanted to go out guns a blazing, you know, because people hurt me. And so there was the warrior part of me coming out. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe we see you know, if I describe myself in modern and postmodern, maybe that's because that's where I really want to be. And, and I, and I aspire to that, but I'm not there yet. So maybe there is some truth to that. Uh, in the, the most, uh, stereotypical words of a spiritual director, Chris, that is a really great awareness. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Chris, you know, we both mentioned, um, that as we moved onto another stage, we, we felt misunderstood, um, or you know that the the people that we were that were in the stage below us didn't understand what we were doing, or they uh, felt that uh, we were doing the wrong thing, even though it's just you know moving through the spiral. Um, I mean, even look at Martin Luther. The church didn't understand what Luther was doing um, when he moved into, you know, out of traditionalist into modernist and, uh, and even Galileo, you know, church and the culture at large, they were threatened by Galileo and his discoveries. And, uh, even just looking at how people react to science today. So, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that, um, the, what that conflict is, you know, of what that's like for people moving on. And I don't want to say leaving people behind, but, moving on and not feeling understood. Yeah, I think the word you used uh, was threat. And that is a good description of how people view uh, folks who move out of their stage, the one that they are currently in into another of the next stage, they feel threatened by it because their, you know, their beliefs are different or changing. And, um, and so there's this, this feeling of threat. um, And they just don't, they don't understand how people in the next uh, stage of the spiral see the world we see this really i mean we see it all the time in how the evangelical church which is still pretty firmly rooted in traditional sees people who they'd call progressive like you know they would call us progressive they say that they're giving up the roots of historic christianity and um, you know they believe that that this is how that they 
remain faithful to God and it's what God wants of them to, you know, to stay firm in historic Christianity and to, um, you know, make sure that everyone understands what those beliefs are. Um, and so it's described as defending the historic faith, being true to your beliefs, staying orthodox, whatever, you know, there's all kinds of ways they talk about it. And I think this situation is supported by their belief in biblical inerrancy. First of all, they say, we just have to take the Bible at face value and everything it says is true and unchanging. And, you know, if you look at the Bible through higher levels of consciousness, then it brings new interpretations that contradicts the orthodox interpretations and that that cannot be so. Um, it's also supported by the belief in a fixed set of orthodox beliefs, you know, about God, about theology, about Christianity that has not changed for 2000 years. There's, as they would say, no room, there's no room for new beliefs or renegotiation of old beliefs. Um, but when, you know, you talk about church history and, and it, it is, if you look at church history, beliefs have been all over the place in church history over 2000 years. There is no one set belief that has n remained unchanged probably for the full 2000 years of, of the Christian church history. So, but, you know, you'll hear people in the traditional stage talk about folks like us using words like they're backsliding. They're going down a slippery slope. You know, they're too liberal. And they'll even say they're heretics, you know, so they'll throw out that H word. Um, they'll describe us like that. And, uh, you know, it's because they, they, they want to maintain that, um, they want to maintain that the boundaries around what they believe is, is traditional historic Christianity. Um, I would just like to point out, I had a professor that kind of talked about this a little bit about, you know, quote unquote, progressive Christianity. And he said, you know, when, when Christianity really began uh, almost 2000 years ago, that, um, that there was really only like one belief. And then, uh, and, uh, and even the way that the Jewish Christians uh, began to read the Bible, like a lot of uh, Jewish people were taught back then was to make connections and learn new things and go deeper. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, move up the spiral in their reading of, of their scriptures. And, um, and so he was saying like, that's kind of how it started. And now there's this very, um, you know, biblical inerrancy and, um, the flat and the Bible says so. Yeah, exactly. It's very flat. And, uh, so he said that because like, in order to go back to, uh, you know, the ways that people see us as, you know, liberal and heretical and backsliding and all of that, um, we're actually going back to like the roots of, uh, of how uh, the early Christians connected with God. And so now this new way of like the Bible says, and, and the, the rules and the regulations that that is actually more progressive because it's newer. And so, well, I just thought that was so interesting that it's like, you know, oh, actually we're not the progressives. You're the ones that are the progressives and you feel, you know. Um, right. Maggie, have you read Richard Rohr's book, The Universal Christ? It's been on my list forever. I actually just got the devotional that was just released um, around oh. the Universal Christ, like the reading companion. And I still yeah. haven't read it, but I love me some Richard Rohr. So yeah. move it up on your list because it is, it's awesome. Um, I wanted to, 
uh, bring in a quote from that book, which I think really demonstrates a lot of what we're talking about. Um, it says, what many have begun to see is that you need to have a non-dualistic, non-angry, and non-argumentative mind to process the really big issues with any depth or honesty. And most of us have not been effectively taught how to do that in practice. We were largely taught what to believe instead of how to believe. We had faith in Jesus, often as if he were an idol, more than sharing the, expense, the expansive faith of Jesus, which was always humble and patient. And it can be understood only by the humble and patient. Well, that's I think good. that's yeah. I think that's it's just it's all about how you see and how you believe instead of what you believe, you know. And that's what Richard War has been trying to teach for his entire life. You know, it's 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 a different level of seeing, which we you know those of us who grew up in the church, um, like myself, we're just not taught that. We're only taught what to believe. These are the beliefs you need to have in order to be a Christian. So I, I really see this as a failure of, of the church and not teaching people how to see um, the way the church has been treating the way of Jesus, which is it was never meant to be a new religion. It's as though it's a, just a group of intellectual affirmations when Jesus the whole time was trying to help people see in a deeper and new way. He was trying to help them understand the spirit of the law, which was always love and inclusion, not exclusion. But, you know, as we do with many things, we largely miss that, and we're still suffering from that today. Maggie, what do you think, uh, how do you think we as spiritual directors can help people embrace this change process um, and see in a deeper way or in, at a higher level of consciousness? If I'm completely honest, I am very conflicted about this question, Chris. Um, as spiritual directors, we are really called... Um, not to affect the pace that God is moving in someone's life. Um, it's not our job to push somebody farther, um, but it is also part of the job to bracket well when we see that we see something differently than somebody else does. So knowing about the Graves model is really good for spiritual direction because it allows us to understand what is happening in this in this situation but it's not our place to push somebody into a newer level if they're not ready to um, and just to trust that god will enlighten them you know so to speak uh when the time is right but i do see that um when it's appropriate spiritual directors can can offer a new way of seeing yeah. Um, you know, especially when it comes to someone's image of God, if they see God as very legalistic and the, what the pastor says is right, they might be in the traditional stage. And so to offer an expanding view of God, um, if the directee seems ready, then that, that might be a seed that's planted, but it really isn't our role to do that unless we truly feel called to say that in the moment. I, I agree. I definitely agree with you that, that we are not there to, um, well, with our agenda to push them, you know, you know, are you, you need to move on out of this traditional stage. You need to move into modern or whatever. It's not our place to do that, of course. Um, uh, but yes, it does. It does help us to um, understand why things are happening, you know, maybe if people are coming with, with lots of, of questions uh, about 
their faith and they they feel um there's a lot of angst about that then you know as spiritual directors who have an understanding of spiral dynamics we know that that's the way change happens it's it's messy and it's you know this change process between one phase to the next is is going to be messy and we understand that and so we can at least help them to see that well what you're going through is normal you know um so that helps um I, I can tell you what a spiritual director should not do, and and I have personal personal experience with that. Not as a director, but as a directee. Um, you know, when I was going through a lot of these uh, ch this change process and and moving out of traditional um, into uh, different stages, my own spiritual director at the time he tried to put up boundaries, and he said, "No, I mean this is what the historic church has believed. You're you're moving too far." And, you know, it was, it was, it was really difficult to continue to go to him. And I would, eventually I did leave and find a new director who is much, much better. And, and just lets me kind of move all over the place and, and say whatever I want and ask all kinds of questions and never gives me any answers. And that's the way a director should be. That sounds so frustrating, but it's actually yeah. very freeing <laughs> to, to be able to come yeah. to our own conclusions and to just there really is so much freedom that comes with uh, being given that permission to be where you are and, um, mm -hmm. and, and for a director to trust that God has that person where they are, where they're meant to be, whether they're ahead of you or, or farther behind you on the spiral, whatever that is to, we just get to, to be who we are. And I think that's the, the biggest takeaway from, uh, from the Graves model is, yeah. You know, we're all on this journey and we all get to be where we are on this journey.